VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And thank you for joining us on Crosstalk today here on VCY America. Ladies and gentlemen, this past December 13th, we interviewed Karen Mueller on Crosstalk about a critical case before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, really dealing with the right to treatment for patients, uh, patients' rights. Well, the case is Alan Gale versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. And so the questions remain, what authority does a medical power of attorney hold? What are patients' rights when a hospital refuses a standard of care that the patient or his representative request? Well, those oral arguments were heard last Monday before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And today, we have the lead attorney representing Alan Gale, who had medical power of attorney for Mr. John Zingsheim, back with us. Her name is Karen Mueller, founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me back. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. Very good. And just before we talk about this particular case, as you're well aware, Yesterday marked the 50th anniversary of the infamous Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. We we know the Roe decision was negated by the Dobbs decision this past June, uh, June 24th. Uh, a massive march for life was held in D.C. Counter protest happened in communities around the nation. Uh, give us your thoughts, though, on this issue uh, and where we are as a nation on this this matter of life. Well, first of all, I would say praise God uh, that. Uh, uh, the Dobbs, de- Dobbs decision overruled uh, almost 50 years of killing the unborn. Um, this is a year to celebrate for this uh, uh, decision, and it's also a year to pay attention to what's going on in your state legislators. In your state legislature for Wisconsin, uh, it is Madison that is now ground zero for the fight. Uh, we have a 50-year-old statute, or I should say 170-year-old statute, um, as you know, um, that our legislature wants to repeal. I believe that that statute gives constitutional and civil rights to the unborn in this state, and that is because of the language that says an unborn child is a human being from conception in Wisconsin. And so I would urge um, your audience in Wisconsin to stand up right now and be heard and not let the legislature repeal this very important protective statute for the unborn. And we, as you mentioned, uh, Karen, this is in state legislatures around the country. We have a number of people in Minnesota that are listening and, and what they are trying to do there to advance death of the the uh, the preborn is amazing. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have a guest later this week pertaining to this, but the, the battle's happening in many state capitals, and friends, you need to stay abreast of what's going on within your state on this issue. Karen, it was just over a month ago that uh, you were on Crosstalk here and discussing the case that you were, would be arguing then at that time the uh, before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Alan Gale versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated, and we'll talk about the oral arguments, but before we do that, I know we have many new listeners to the program or those who didn't catch the that broadcast, or, or it's kind of fuzzy in their mind, uh, just give us a brief overview of what the merits of this case were about. Uh, the merits of the case started back in October of 2021 um, when Alan Gall had called me and, uh, and his wife, Sarah, and they asked if I could represent them uh, as health care power of attorney. Uh, they had an uncle by the name of John Zingzyme who had gone into the hospital this is Aurora Hospital in Waukesha County, and uh, he had been diagnosed with COVID, and uh, they were trying to get ivermectin administered to him, and the hospital refused. Uh, they had also talked to Ralph Larigo, an attorney out of New York, and uh, so he became the lead attorney in that particular case, and I was local counsel to it. And uh, as it went on, uh, in a two-day uh, attorney conference slash hearing, uh, basically we were seeking um, a uh, temporary restraining order, basically an order 
that would allow John's enzyme to get the ivermectin. And we were successful in doing that. Uh, the uh, court in Waukesha County, the circuit court, uh, granted that in um, a two-day process. They revised their order from the first day, uh, which would have had the hospital administering the ivermectin. And in the second day, they revised it and said that Alan Gall could find um, a doctor uh, who would then administer uh, the correct dosage after directly examining uh, John's enzyme. And uh, so that order uh, had uh, was made. Uh, before the order could be signed, uh, the Second District Appeals Court had taken the case. Aurora had already made a motion uh, to them. And so what they did was they stayed the order. And because they stayed the order, John Zingzyme did not get the ivermectin. And uh, so uh, I had appealed that to the Supreme Court on a bypass um, and uh, was turned down at the time. And so it went on throughout the next year. And in May of 2022, the appeals court ruled against um, Alan Gall and uh and obviously that went against John Zingzyme, and the decision then was uh, basically said uh, that there was no authority uh, for the court, for the circuit court to have made that order. And our side obviously has maintained that the court did have authority. And what we very much focused in on was the health care power of, a st- of attorney statute in our state Um, that we believe gives rights to every citizen in Wisconsin uh, regarding their health care wishes. And um, if you want, I can read you just a a couple of lines that uh, verbatim gives the rights that the legislature uh, uh, gave. Yes, I will have you do that. And uh, thank you for correcting. I did have a wrong pronunciation here at the start of the program. Uh, Alan Gall is the name. Um, so this is really this is the basis then for your argument is is what the statute say. So uh, please share with us that information. <clears throat> the statute says notice to person making this document. And of course, that would be the future principal, the one that's executing it. Um, and may need health care in the future. You have the right to make decisions about your health care. No health care may be given to you over your objection, and necessary health care may not be stopped or withheld if you object. And so that is the basis of our argument, um, was that this was a statutory form that the Wisconsin State Legislature um, had uh, enacted a number of years ago and that it carries the force of law and that there are real rights attached to those words and that they're not mere suggestions uh, that can be ignored by hospitals. Mm -hmm. And so that's the basis of our argument. So the hospital, though, they were convinced that Mr. Zingsheim would never be able to return to any kind of livable quality of life, correct? That's correct. And that speaks to um, one of the issues uh, which would be that we discussed, and that would be the necessity of the health care, uh, because obviously that would be uh, something that people could argue about. And uh, one of the areas of necessity would certainly be uh, that if all other help has failed, and in the case of, of Aurora Hospital um, in Allen Gall's affidavit, he had basically stated uh, that the indications that were coming from the hospital, from the doctors and the staff, was that there was no other treatment for Mr. Zingzyme. He mm-hmm. was on a ventilator, and uh, there was no other help. Uh, they were just talking basically palliative care. So we're talking a person that has no other type of uh, help available to them. And then the other component uh, to necessary would be that the treatment is reasonable. And we believe that it would be reasonable. We were looking at ivermectin, which is a drug that has been around for 40 years and is safe. Uh, The literature uh, and uh, the weight of the evidence that is out there uh, has a strong suggestion 
that this drug will help people and has helped people. And uh, by the way, I would say I believe I'm alive because of that drug. Um, and uh, frankly, that is a drug that my husband got to me when I was in the hospital and very, very ill. And, uh, and uh, so uh, there's uh, different medical people that are disputing it. Uh, the the um, narrative that is coming out of the federal government, out of health care uh, agencies, um, local, state, and federal is is that it is not safe, that it's horse-paced. And I would say that's basically a propaganda mm-hmm. campaign, and it should be put to rest. Uh, we have plenty of doctors out there um, that are very reputable. Uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, to be the lead doctor at FLCCC, uh, Frontline uh, Doctors, uh, that says otherwise and has much proof to back that up with. Uh, Karen, so as these oral, uh, oral arguments were made before the court, uh, just to be clear, this case was not about what treatment for COVID is best, correct? That's right. Um, <clears throat> I was very clear when we started discussing this in my opening arguments that the court, um, that we weren't there to decide one drug over another. This was very much about the health care power of attorney mm-hmm. and about the rights that our legislature had given to uh, citizens of Wisconsin. In fact, I said uh, to the court that I believed that the appeals court's decision had basically gutted that statute and that the plain meaning analysis uh, that both our uh, Supreme Court of Wisconsin and our federal court goes through uh, in determining what any particular statute means um, had been disregarded. Uh, when they went through the process of making this decision. And so that's an issue I think that the court is going to have to look at when they decide this, uh, because they have a lot of jurisprudence, I believe, that has been ignored in in uh, uh, the appellate determination mm-hmm. that was made. Okay, so again, to be clear, this this case was not about what treatment for COVID is best, and you made that very clear even with your opening statement there. But uh, even though this was not about how to treat COVID, and though the hospital basically is saying, you know, there's all hope is gone in in all of this, you know, just trying to give this uh, special care. I see Justice Karofsky, though, actually tore into ivermectin itself. Uh, Yes, um, uh, Justice Karofsky um, had questions uh, for me about that. And um, that was despite the fact that I said we're not really looking at uh, which drug is Mm -hmm. best here. Um, So everybody can uh, agree or disagree uh, about the efficacy and the safety of um, that drug. I should say the safety is really not an issue because even the National Institute of Health in their chart E, which you can find on their website, um, basically, they say that it say that it's well tolerated. Tell you what, we're gonna let's let's pick up with that. But we're at a break, so let's pick up with that point right afterwards because this is really important, folks. Again, the National Institutes of Health previously declared ivermectin to be safe. So why would the hospital stop this safe drug from being given? Well, that was part of the argument there as well. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Crosstalk. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, any new dinosaur extinction theories? Of course, Chris. There's always a new theory. Here's a new one. We all know that methane gas can be deadly at high concentrations. Methane gas is found in gases exuding from deep inside the Earth, and it's proposed that a huge methane belch of gas came up from the Earth's mantle, spread out over the land, and killed off all the dinosaurs. Well, that's convenient. That's the kind of theory you can't prove one way or the other. But here's something else to think about. The dead dinosaurs are all found in water-deposited strata. They're not just laying on the surface of the ground having been poisoned by methane gas. They were buried by water. I think it's the great flood of Noah's day. That flood may have included a lot of methane, but it was primarily a water flood. That's the evidence we have. It all goes back to Genesis. Thank you, Dr. John. This is Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. 
This is Crosstalk on VCY America. With us today, Karen Mueller, founder and general counsel for the Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. And friends, uh, patient rights are at stake and the rights of a health care power of attorney. What rights do they hold when you have the clear words of state statute that grant authority? And, and yet when those that authority is denied, uh, how do we interpret things at, at this point? Uh, so there's controversy. It came before the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, this just a week ago. Karen Mueller, of course, uh, representing uh, in this case, Mr. Alan Gall uh, versus the Aurora Healthcare uh, Incorporated. And uh, Karen, just as we're going to the break, we were talking about the the National Institutes of Health and and the, the big controversy, uh, as we mentioned, Justice Karofsky uh, kind of tearing into this ivermectin. Uh, and yet uh, we see that the hospital refused to give the requested medication because it's well, it was beneath their standard of care. But the National Institutes of Health, you were just pointing out, really previously declared ivermectin to be safe. I believe there was even a Nobel Peace Prize won on behalf of this medication. That's that's absolutely true. Uh, um, the NIH, their chart, uh, 2E, which we had in evidence, uh, basically said that ivermectin regarding its safety is well tolerated. because, it, And as you said, it's a, won a Nobel Prize. Um, on the other hand, the drug that is given to almost every patient um, in this country that goes in uh, for COVID because of the COVID-19 protocols that comes out of the federal government, that drug is remdesivir. And on that same chart I just mentioned, remdesivir, uh, it talks about the toxicity to both the liver and to uh, the kidneys. And um I mean, this is a drug that uh, is has been experimental in nature, um, at the very least when they first started giving it in 2020, and I believe that it has caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people in this country, and I do not understand why the COVID-19 protocols are still being used in this country in these hospitals. Um, in fact, I believe um, that it has uh, the standards of care, um, or I should say the COVID-19 protocols have really been masquerading as standards of care, and that needs to stop. Uh, that was somewhat of an issue in this case. Um, the hospital maintained from the very beginning of this case that courts have no authority to intervene if they say that a treatment falls beneath their standard of care for patient safety. Well, and, and that, that, and that cannot be. Yeah, and this is something that Justice uh, uh, Dallet was pointing out and, and saying, well, if the hospital says this is below, beneath their standard of care, how can we as a court then know what is better as it pertains to standard of care? How can we come in and say, uh, hospital, that's beneath your standard of care, but we as a court know better? Uh, well, again, uh, the issue that was before them had to do with the health care power of attorney. And um, we, we proved, I believe, with the NIH chart alone and other, a lot of other evidence that uh, had been entered um, that uh, the drug was safe and that we had a man that was uh, in dire circumstances. And based on that, that goes back to the necessity issue uh, within the legislator's words. And uh, for that reason, the, uh, according to the Wisconsin State Legislature, um, that health care, since we could determine that it would be necessary, uh, should not have been withheld uh, because the family was objecting, in particular, Alan Gall, who was the health care agent. Uh, he was before the court on that basis, that is the reason he even had the ability to knock on the courthouse door was because he was the health care power uh, of attorney. And that is what, in fact, gave him the standing to come into the courthouse and, and ask, so to speak. Um, we, we should also mention, what is, what is the present condition of Mr. Zingsheim, whom uh, Alan Gall was the power of, medical power of attorney over? Um, he is now home. Uh, he did survive. He had 10 months in the hospital, uh, which should have never happened, um, but thank God he's alive. Uh, it was basically a miracle. And um, I will say it is my understanding now 
that somebody did uh, get ivermectin to him in a lotion form. Hmm. Uh, Karen, this is a very interesting uh, situation because here we have, uh, again, a standard of care came up uh, repeatedly. And uh, when we find that uh, as it relates to standard of care that the hospital was giving the remdesivir, which which uh, have pointed out the, the harmful effects it's had upon so many. As a matter of fact, I believe this had been pulled some decades ago when it was uh, uh, found to cause, uh, uh, you know, ill ill treatment of patients. And yet uh, a proven drug that has shown not to cause harm uh, was refused, saying, no, that's below their standard of care. It, it just seems rather oxymoronic as it relates to even how we define standard of care, because one seems to have hastened the death of some, according to your arguments, and another has been life-affirming. Um, that is correct. I mean, if uh, something seems rather odd here, it's because there is something, I believe, that is uh, uh, very disturbing that is going on in our country. Uh, the COVID-19 protocols are coming out of Medicare, Medicaid, and uh, uh, CMS. And uh, that would be the government, our United States government, telling every hospital uh, what they should do for a patient that they have never laid eyes on, they have never seen. Basically, the argument that was being made by one doctor um, who had never uh, seen Mr. Zengzyme but had ordered a prescription, I can make that argument on a national in, uh, level. And that is that the people who made these protocols and are forcing uh, these terribly dangerous drugs on people, um, they've never laid eyes on them. They've never examined their chart. And so it's a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. dangerous drug uh, that Anthony Fauci has decided is to be used throughout our country. And I say it's killing people, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop today because people are still dying. Uh, The families that uh, have contacted me, the families that have contacted, um, uh, uh, that are my clients, um, have suffered greatly. Most of uh, the people uh, that I have been in touch with have been traumatized because their loved ones died alone. Their loved ones died on ventilators. And uh, they were treated, they were isolated from their loved ones. Uh, this is horrific, and this needs to stop today. You know, I am aware of of individuals who, even while hospitalized, would request something simple like a vitamin C, and and hospitals drag their feet, or or in some cases, you know, not willing to administer even vitamin C or or D or zinc or those types of things. I mean, that, that's outrageous, and. And I know in one particular case where a doctor says, well, after repeated requests by the patient, the doctor says, well, I guess it's not going to, we don't know that's going to be of any benefit or help, but it's not going to harm you, so we'll allow it to happen. I mean, how far are we Are we going to take this? That's vitamin C. Uh, um, um, yes, that, that happened over and over again. In addition to that, um, basic uh, uh, things such as water, uh, hydration have been withheld from many patients. So there's no water, no food in many cases. Um, This is beyond outrageous. Uh, What we're talking about is uh, basically people um, that are, um, well, let's just say it's far beyond um, medical malpractice here Mm. Uh, because we're three years into this and people know better. And people are watching these people die. And it needs to stop. In fact, I would urge any people that are um, working in these hospitals, and uh, whether it's doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, whatever, this needs to stop. Um, One thing that I think is very important for people, if they can um, go back and watch the hearing, is is that the hospital, excuse me, Aurora maintained that it was those their doctors making the decisions. 
And uh, that is far from the truth based on what I've heard from many, many families, because there were many doctors that said, I would have given the ivermectin, but I would lose my job. Hmm. Wow. Now that's outrageous. Yeah. And that is the truth. And so I know you have a national audience. This is going on all over the country. And people, healthcare workers, need to rise up and uh, they need to become whistleblowers, if nothing else. This needs to stop today. Karen, I know this this goes back again, uh, you know, full circle back to the statutory form for the, 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 the power of attorney. And and this was passed by, you know, through the legislature, the the the, the power of attorney uh, aspect here. And and uh, how can we get away from what the words actually say? Well, I would respectfully say that the appeals court erred in this case. Mm -hmm. And um, because they erred, uh, this has to be corrected by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And I'm confident that they will do that. What? what? um, I mean, that's regarding our statute. Um, I can't speak to statutes in other states because the states are the ones that enact their own health care power of attorneys. Uh, just a couple more questions, and we'll be opening some phone lines here. But I, I noticed Justice Hagedorn seemed kind of troubled that he could not find where the trial court had recited law in granting permission for a doctor to come to the hospital and administer the drug. Uh, what's your response to that? Should that trouble us? It's, it's, um, it's in the statute. Again, I simply go back to the fact that Wisconsin Statute 155.30 is the healthcare power of attorney statute, and it grants those rights that I read to every person in Wisconsin. If it doesn't grant those rights, then the legislature should have written just kidding behind them, because I think the words um, that uh, uh, no health care may be given to you over your objection and necessary health care may not be stopped or withheld if you object is very clear. And um, so that is the plain meaning of the statute. I can read. Every uh, person that is listening can read. So you look at the statute and you go, I don't get this. Um, the fact, again, that it was Alan Gall that showed up, at, um, uh, so to speak, at the courthouse and asked, for uh, this help in getting a drug that was being withheld uh, from his uncle that he believed would help him and that was safe. Um, He had every right to do that under this section of the law. In fact, that is what gives him the standing to go in the courthouse doors, so to speak. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Karen Mueller is with us, the founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. Their website, amoscenterforjustice.org, amoscenterforjustice.org. I've just got another question or two. We'll be opening up some phone lines shortly as well. So stay with us. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY America Network. How much do you know about the end of the world? Have you heard of worldwide pandemics? Weapons of mass destruction? Threats from Russia and Asia? Clamor for globalization? Hand implants for commerce and security? Violent persecution? What about intensifying wickedness? All of this is predicted in the book of Revelation. In the book, The 50 Final Events in World History, Author Robert Morgan simplifies what many have found complex, providing a comprehensive yet easy-to-understand overview of the book of Revelation, which translates the events of Revelation both literally and sequentially. Walk step-by-step through the prophetic events yet to unfold. The 50 Final Events in World History is available from VCY for a donation of $18 or more when you call 1-800-729-9829. 1 800 729 
This is Crosstalk, Patient Rights at Stake. With us today, Karen Mueller, founder and general counsel for the Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. Uh, Karen, I can just imagine the number of phone calls that are coming in to your offices uh, from people around this country uh, and even the state uh, experiencing similar matters. I can only imagine the the costs that have uh, been escalating in giving such representation for this very issue. Um, it has been uh, very, uh, very costly. And uh, I would say the Amos Center is surviving on donations. Um, and, uh, by the way, Amos Center is only two and a half years old. I started it, um, as a public interest, not-for-profit law firm, um, in the wake of, uh, the pandemic and, or I should say when it started and seeing all the, uh, trampling of our constitutional and civil rights taking place. And of course, everything just escalated. The needs got worse and worse. And, uh, so, uh, frankly, uh, the Amos Center uh, could use donations. Uh, we are going to be having uh, dinner benefits that we are going to be holding around the state in the next couple of months. Our first one is coming up February 4th at Lilydale Event Center in Chippewa Falls, uh, where we are located. Um, and uh, I, the people should know that uh, uh, the tickets are $100 a person, and that is because this is our only way to do fundraising, and I need to be able to hire more staff, more attorneys. We are looking at strategic litigation, not only on this end. Uh, we are looking at it um, for the people uh, that have lost loved ones and have been injured in the hospitals with these protocols. We are also looking at representing a number of people who have been injured uh, by the uh, so-called vaccines. And um, then we are also looking at having to fight this new uh, front that has been opened with the unborn. And uh, so we do need resources, uh, financial resources, so that um, I can uh, expand the number of attorneys that we have on staff. Um, um, I, can, I can live with very little myself, but I understand that young attorneys with a lot more energy um, uh, than I have uh, they need uh, to support their families. And so what I would ask uh, your uh, listeners, too, if they are interested in, in giving anything, that would be greatly appreciated. And they can do that at amoscenterforjustice.org. If you are interested in uh, getting tickets for this first dinner, um, we um, have a button on the website where you can register for the Every Life Matters uh, legal offense on dinner. Okay. Oh. okay. Again, that's uh, amoscenterforjustice.org, and you can look for the button, Every Life Matters. Yes. Very good. And that is for the tickets. Otherwise, we have a regular donate button. Friends, our phone number to Crosstalk today is 800-733-9829. That's 1-800-733-9829. Your questions for our guest today. Uh, Karen, let me ask you this. What what really is at stake in this case? Uh, people's lives all over this country. Uh, this isn't going to stop. That at least is my opinion until enough people stand up and make it stop. Um, we have people in our uh, federal government, some in our state, that are determined uh, for any number of reasons. Um, I would zero in on financial gain uh, to change the way that medical care is given. And I believe that there's some people that are considered more worthy, more acceptable, um, and that goes with a philosophy uh, that completely goes against uh, the Christian philosophy hmm. of every life mattering because it's a gift from God. Um, frankly, we're talking about evil here. And um, there's people that are in places of power that need to be removed from power. And... Uh, in our situation, if we don't have uh, legal enforcement, if we can't find a way to um, investigate them, 
then as far as I'm concerned, we are going to have to find a way uh, to make them care. And uh, one way is through strategic litigation. Karen, is there any indication when the justices will, will render their decision? Uh, that is hard to predict. Okay. Um, I really don't have a sense of when it will be. Um, they will do their work and uh, they will make their decision based on the evidence. I'm confident of that and on the briefing. Um, and I think that they will come up with the um, with the just decision. AmosCenterForJustice.org is the website. And uh, we'll take your phone calls. Lines are packed here today on Crosstalk. And uh, let's begin with uh, Dominique calling from McQuanago, Wisconsin. Good afternoon, Dominique. Good afternoon, Jim and Karen. I just wanted to see if it was all right with you if I read one section of quotes. It's like a minute long. Yes, yes. I, I'm going to have you do that, Dominique. I just want to thank you for calling. You just uh, actually wrote an article for The New American that's available at thenewamerican.com that really is a wonderful overview of what's taken place. So let me commend you on that, Dominique, but also encourage listeners to go to thenewamerican.com and you'll see the headline, Rights of the Patient Under Fire in Wisconsin Supreme Court. Thank you, Jim. That is very kind. Praise the Lord. Um, so I was just wanting to say that it was um, uh, just in this clip here, notice it was more important to the hospital to preserve their precious protocol than to preserve John's one truly precious life, memorialized in this exchange between Justice Rebecca Bradley asking Aurora's hospital attorney, Jason Frankowiak, I believe is how you say his name, and she says, quote, it's important to define what is the status quo. The doctors at the hospital basically said, there's nothing more we can do. We'll keep him on a ventilator. The other side is saying, look, he has a right to try. So what is the status quo from your perspective? And then the attorney answered, we would take the position that the status quo was that Mr. Zingzheim was being treated by a team of four different specialties, 24 hours per day, under a protocol that the treatment team had decided. And that treatment plan did not include ivermectin. So when the judge actually made his decision in this case and initially granted the injunction, he was actually not preserving the status quo. He was actually actively upsetting the status quo. The treatment team was now being required to administer ivermectin and a change in the treatment plan. And then this is when Justice Rebecca Bradley states, quote, that's disrupting the status quo for Aurora, but it's not disrupting Mm -hmm. the status quo for Mr. Zingzheim who is trying to live, right? The status quo for him was he was alive, and they were trying to keep him alive, unquote. And there is the power of the right to life. Well, very powerful exchange. Uh, thank you, Dominique. Uh, Karen, let me get your response. I think that's right on point. Um, <clears throat> it was certainly one of the points that we were making um, that you have to make uh when uh, you're asking the court uh, for a TRO, and that is is that um, you are con- maintaining the status quo. And we can't even imagine a situation where the status quo of maintaining a person's life um, is uh, that priority, uh, that, that something else takes greater priority over maintaining life. Um, that is so far outside of uh, not only our Christian worldview, but the American worldview. Uh, Our Wisconsin Constitution is clear, and it says that we have a right to life and that governments are instituted to secure those rights. You can't get any plainer than that. That's the Wisconsin Constitution. And so, you know, every branch of government is there to to secure our rights, um, to uh, life, to liberty, and to the pursuit of happiness, um, according to our Wisconsin Constitution. Dominique, thank you for the call. You're welcome. And uh, friends, again, uh, you'll find the article uh, giving a great overview on this at thenewamerican.com. Uh, let's go to Linda calling from uh, Sardinia, Ohio. Linda, you're on the year. Hello, yes. Uh, in Sardinia, where I've lived over these past uh, year, two years, whatever, that all, I don't know how many 
friends of mine have died because they got slapped in the hospital on a ventilator, period. And all my, a lot of my family has died, too. And even after uh, my family, after they got the shots, they died. Anyway, I'm, I'm with the rest. This needs to stop. And this. Oh, I think we just lost our caller here. Thank you for the call. Uh, just got disconnected from you. Um, let me uh, just say this. Lord willing, tomorrow on Crosstalk, we're scheduled to be joined by Dr. Elizabeth Lee Valite, and we'll be dealing more on the medical side of things. Uh, right now we're talking about the, certainly the legal uh, end of things and the the right of patients, the right of one's medical power of attorney here in this case as well. Uh, we've got uh, Tom calling in from McConnellsville, Ohio. Hi, Tom. You're on the air. Hi, and uh, thank you for taking my call. My my question is, a friend of mine um, had Parkinson's, and in order for him to see his sister who came down with the, the virus uh, in Montana, he had to get the vaccine in order to fly out there on the on the flight. And he had the Moderna, but and that was a year ago, but in that year the Parkinson's has taken him down to a walker. So I'm wondering, does, are the vaccines affecting illnesses that people already have? And the other question is, is we both then came down with the COVID, and is the infusion safe? Is there any side effects from the infusions that you can take? Yeah, and thank, thank you. And these are more from the medical perspective, but uh, Karen, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I wanted to say that I, um, I'm not a medical doctor, um, so you may want to ask especially that last question um, uh, from Dr. Lee Valet tomorrow when um, she is going to be on. Uh, but what I will tell you is my understanding uh, from a number of doctors that I've talked to is what the vaccines do overall is they suppress the immunity. And so if you already have a pre-existing condition, um, whether that is neurological or um, even any type of a previous uh, uh, cancer um, and uh, possibly a, a cardiac problem, then it's going to be worse. But I also understand that you don't have to have any of those pre-existing conditions um, to end up with problems because of these um, so-called vaccines. They're anything but vaccines. And the information that is continuing to come out uh, shows that we have severe problems that are going to be coming down in the coming years. Um, uh, with this, but I think uh, overall, I would I would defer to Dr. Valet, who's going to be on tomorrow, uh, to speak more to that on the medical side. Thank you so much for the call, Christine in Racine. You're on the air. Um, I would like Karen to please give her website again because I came in late, but. I've tried to get information for a long time, and the Epoch Times has been a profound resource to. Uh, so every doctor with the highest credentials in the world who ha- who oppose it and why for, from a medical standpoint. But I want to understand if you're seeing the people who call themselves Christians who refuse to go along and look and really research the data and the evidence who will still toe the line with the medical establishment. And these are Christian people who are in the medical field. What on earth is going on and how, what, what research do you think would be wise to present to them? I've given them enough, I feel, but I feel I need to stop. Okay. Thank you, Christina. We are up against a break. We'll have our guest comment afterwards uh, and give her website again as well. So folks, be ready to jot it down back in just one minute here on on Crosstalk. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Last Friday, I did something I've been wanting to do for many, many years, but just never took the time to do. I was speaking in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and I finally got to do it, and that is visit the home of President Andrew Jackson, the Hermitage. I find him to be a fascinating historical individual. He was our seventh president of the United States. In my book, Grave Influence, that I wrote in 2008 and came out in 2009, I gave a segment of his farewell address in which he warned about a central bank. As president, he did away with a central bank and warned America to never get a central bank ever again, that the bankers, due to their greed and corruption, would expand the money supply when it suited them and then contract it when it would protect their assets, having a ruinous effect upon America. He warned to never do this. We didn't listen. We got the Federal Reserve in 1913, and now look at where we're at. 
I'm Brandon House. Karen Mueller is our guest here today on Crosstalk, founder and general counsel for the Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. And again, their website, amoscenterforjustice.org. For spelled out, F-O-R, amoscenterforjustice.org. Uh, the caller was also asking about additional sites. I don't know. Again, I think dealing with more things on a medical perspective, uh, Dr. Vliet will be with us tomorrow and uh, her site, truthforhealth.org. Uh, anything else you want to share, uh, Karen, to that last caller? Uh, what I would say is if you go to our website, amoscenterforjustice.org, you will find a lot of information. We have recently revamped the website, and uh, you will find um probably more information than you care to read um, on a lot of different subjects, but uh, particularly on uh, the vaccine injuries, also on the uh, COVID-19 protocol injuries and deaths, and um, also on miscarriages um, and uh, a variety of other topics. But those are the main three. I wanted to answer the question of your previous caller Um, She's wondering what is going on and um, how this is all working. And uh, what I would say is um, I have very strong evidence um, uh, to show that uh, um, there is a concerted propaganda campaign that has come out of the federal government um, through HHS and uh, that they have had many, many, I'm talking thousands, of organizations that they had joined their propaganda campaign. And I believe there's evidence um, that those organizations were paid uh, to incentivize uh, the um, vaccines. And uh, by incentivizing, I'm talking about money uh, that was uh, handed out to them and many, many different organizations, nonprofits, Uh, state and local agencies uh, that receive some kind of of, uh, stipend, at least, at the very least. And uh, so they all ended up uh, talking about the efficacy and the safety of these shots when both of those are a lie. They are absolutely a lie. Hmm. And people need to wake up and do their research and um, uh, you, she spoke about Christians, and I would just say the time right now is to wake up and do your homework and really research this. And a good jumping-off point is our website. And then again, you'll hear Dr. Valet tomorrow. William is calling from Fountain Hill, Arizona. You're on the air. Well, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. I really want to say I appreciate this guest and what she's having to say. I think she's absolutely right what she's uh, concluding is going on here. And I was going to share my own personal witness of what happened to me at the hospital uh, last January, a bleeding hospital in Phoenix, the largest hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm on Medicare, and I checked into triage. I was sent to to uh, the emergency room by my uh, Medicare supplement uh, nurses that uh, are in that you call and they she yeah. immediately well, called well, the ambulance. Yeah, William, Here's we're going to have to have you speed it up because we're down to just a couple minutes in the broadcast. Here's my point: they not only did not perform any services for me, Medicare declined the services, and of course that affects the hospital because. They won't get any um, Medicare uh, payments at all. So that's what's going on. They're trying to shut us old folks down. Hmm. That's what they're trying to do. Well, any comment, Karen? Um, I think think there's a lot of truth to that. The protocols are very dark. Um, You go in, you get um, a test, and whether you're actually positive for COVID, They start you on the remdesivir after a few days, um, and you might have some other drugs that are at least as harmful, such as baricitinib. Within a few days, you need a ventilator. Once you're on the ventilator, I have one client who said 
that the doctor told her, if you want to see your mom alive again, you'll sign the DNR orders. And so basically, the, she was going to die either way. It was a matter of if they were going to allow the mom to see her. My, my. Um, that was a real live living person, and they have family that um, have this unbelievable loss. Uh, but I would want to say before we end that there's even a darker side beyond this, and that's that we have evidence in certain cases. I've had people call me from around the country um, that there is active euthanasia going on, and uh, uh, we have, of course, uh, the prominent case I believe you've had him on, Scott Chera, uh, who is the father of Grace, mm-hmm. uh, the 19-year-old uh, woman who had uh, Down syndrome. And uh, he maintains that she was murdered by the hospital and uh, uh, because of the illegal DNR orders. And so that case, I believe, is uh, probably going to be litigated. I'm not the attorney in that, and so I'm not going to speak any more to that. But I also have had calls uh, where they basically said their loved ones were uh, overdosed on fentanyl, on morphine, uh, drugs that they had no business receiving. They just plain weren't required. And even a lay person, such as myself, can see that there was um, no good reason for that. Let me just squeeze in Jim from Milwaukee. Jim, you have about 30 seconds. Yes, I was in a, a VA hospital in Milwaukee, and they refused me ivory medicine and, and refused vitamins. And when my wife begged them on the phone to give me vitamins, they wouldn't. She had to sneak them up in a bag of uh, a care package for me in a bag of underwear. And they didn't even want me to move out of my bed. They wanted me to just stay there and don't move. They said, reserve your energy. We don't want you to get up, Bam. And mm-hmm. Tell you what, we're going to have to stop you right there. Um, Karen, a final comment here. Well, I appreciate you interviewing me, um, having me on today to be able to speak to this issue. Um, right now, we'll be waiting to see what uh, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin says on our health care power of attorney statute. Um, for us in Wisconsin, uh, the citizens need to know whether what the legislature enacts is uh, real and um, that they can depend on that um, if they become sick and are in a situation where they need um, a health care agent to speak for them. Uh, but the larger issue is what is going on across this country with the COVID-19 protocols. And this needs to stop. Well, we are out of time. Karen, thank you for being with us. Amos Center for Justice. AmosCenterForJustice.org. Thanks for joining us today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208, or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk.